Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. This is, of course, Arif Dean of Mile High Sports, here to discuss, obviously, all things avalanche-related and avalanche hockey. Um, and mostly, I do obviously want to start with the victory on Sunday. I was going to say night, but it was more of a midday game. Uh, granted, holy shit, that game took forever. Uh, the game where there were almost as many reviews as highlight real goals. Uh, let's put it that way. Or probably more review than highlight real goals. Um, the Avalanche beat the Arizona Coyotes 4-3 to in a game where... Two teams were both desperately trying to work themselves out of a rut. You had the Avs, who obviously came off of a 1-4-1 road trip. Granted, they won two games prior. You also had the Arizona Coyotes, who were 0-8-1. Sorry, 0-7-1 in their last 10 at the time. Fell to 0-8-1 because of that loss to the Avalanche. And then flew home to Arizona, where the Edmonton Oilers were awaiting them. And by the time I'm recording this podcast, it is already a final score. They lose to the Edmonton Oilers 6-3 to in a game where they held a 3-1 to lead heading into the third period and gave up four goals to the Edmonton Oilers to lose that game, three of them in short order to lose the lead and trail by two goals before the empty netter. So desperation all around. And obviously, let's stick with the Sunday Arizona game, the one against the Avalanche. Um Colorado comes out looking like gangbusters for the first few shifts of the game, and then it kind of dwindles toward the Coyotes. And the rest of the first period was ultimately a period where the Coyotes controlled play. They were the better team. They looked like the better of the two desperate teams. Um, and they looked like a team that won, wanted to win the game more. You know, Ross Colton scored in the first four minutes, and then Matt Dumba ties it up several minutes later. Arizona gets a power play, scores on that power play. And they take a 2-1 to lead into the first intermission. You come into the second period. At 5.20 of the second period, Jack Johnson gets that goal, which, man, what a beautiful play by Jack Johnson. Those were flashes of Columbus Blue Jackets, LA Kings, Jack Johnson. The one that was an offensive weapon uh, on the blue line that would give you 40 to 45 to 50 or whatever it was points a season, which at the time was very respectable and, you know, atop the leaderboard most of the time for defensemen. It was among the best. Now it's, uh, that's a half a season from Kel McCarran, Quinn Hughes, if not less than a half a year at this rate. Um, so he does that and ties up the game. And then lo and behold, Logan Cooley scores in a period where this was the one that was the you gotta have it for uh, Alexander Georgiev. The Avalanche come out in the second period. They draw four penalties, um, which all came, I believe, after this Logan Cooley goal. But they get, am I correct on that? No, Ruzhiska's penalty in the, the intermission, the interference one was early in the second. And then three more came after the... Uh, Logan Cooley goal, but one of them was a uh, double. One of them was a double minor, so it was three. It was two calls, but six minutes in total that came after the Logan Cooley goal. Anyways, so the Avalanche are dominating play. Um, the shot they had thirteen shots at the time when Logan when Logan Cooley sorry twelve shots in the game when Logan Cooley scored at nearly the halfway mark. So they're on pace for about twenty five shots against the Arizona Coyotes, trailing three to two. It didn't look good. But then less than a minute later, Nathan McKinnon, obviously, um, rushes in and uh, cleans up, you know, in the crease and whacks away at the puck and scores and then points to the puck. And the Arizona Coyotes decide to challenge the play, which I 
didn't love that challenge if I was a Coyotes fan for them to challenge because McKinnon was, you know, pushing at the puck and ultimately would push at the pad. But just if that was going to get called back, then I don't know what the hell we would be doing with goalie interference. Um, but it wasn't. So great. They review it. It's a good call. No goalie interference. McKinnon's call. McKinnon's goal stands and the Avalanche get a power play after it for the delay of game for the unsuccessful challenge. Uh, they come out of that delay of game. It was like six minutes or seven minutes in real, real life time, six or seven minutes between the Nathan McKinnon goal and the puck dropping for, you know, the, the delay a game penalty, because there was a, what we thought was a timeout turned into a TV timeout. There was obviously the review. It was just the whole thing. So literally right off the draw, Nathan McKinnon comes charging into the zone and almost scores like literally 10 seconds after his 33rd goal of the year. He almost adds another. And it was really, really cool to see him just kind of break in like that uh, out of nowhere. And he gets stopped. And then the avalanche power play just starts to dominate and really generating and passing the puck well and putting everything on net. And Carol Vimelka is making save after save. And then after that, you have... Um, a penalty on Adam Ruzitska, who gets called for a high-sticking double minor. This is now his second penalty of the game. He's got six pims because this one's for four minutes. And the Avalanche are laying it on them, just going, going, going. And all the shots, all the opportunities, all the chances, and no goals. <laughs> like, it was crazy. So from the point of the McKinnon goal, which was at 10-13... Until about four minutes left in the period. So we're talking in a span of five and a half minutes. McKinnon's goal at 10-13 of the second period was the Avalanche's 13th shot on goal. Five and a half minutes later, they had 26 shots. They doubled their shots in five minutes. They outshot the Coyotes in the second period, 21-5. They outscored them 2-1. to one. Despite the three power plays, the Avs ended up 0-4, for 0-8 minutes, as I like to say, on the power play because it was a full four power plays, no interruptions on either side of them. Eight minutes solid of PP time and zero goals, but they had a ton of opportunities. Um, so the Avalanche come out of that and enter the third period tied despite all the opportunities that they had to get the lead. You come into the third period, obviously there was the goal from Arizona that was called back, the Kerfoot goal for offside, then there was the Druan goal for offside right after that. And then Devon Taves cleans up from the blue line on a shot through traffic off of a beauty of a one-touch pass from Jonathan Druan. Like McKinnon behind the boards, obviously, beats the defenseman with a hustle, tries, you know, escapes a check along the boards, gives it to Druan in the slot, and Druan just one-touches it back to Taves without even looking. And Taves, just the beauty of a shot to through traffic for his 10th goal of the season uh, to give the Avalanche a 4-3 lead, and the game stands at that point. Nathan McKinnon, 58 assists, by the way, in game 56, and he's now up to 91 points. And I would be remiss if I did a podcast about the Colorado Avalanche and didn't mention Nathan McKinnon's point streak of 26 consecutive games at home with a point to start the season. Just incredible stuff. Uh, McKinnon has played as many games as Kucherov, granted. Uh, I believe Kucherov has missed one, so he's got one fewer game left uh, than Nathan McKinnon does. And Kucherov leads the Art Ross Trophy by three goals. 56 games for Nikita Kucherov. He's got 36 goals, 58 assists. 56 games for Nathan McKinnon. He's got 33 goals, 58 assists. So spectacular stuff by both of those dudes. Just an incredible pace of hockey for these guys. 
Uh, Connor McDavid's inching a little bit behind them, 83 points in 50 games. Um, and then you go down the list a little bit, and you got Miko Ranton in rounding out the top 10 as one of 10 players with 70 points. He's at exactly 70. So good win for the Avalanche. Um, I do want to mention that this is going to be a shorter podcast from hearing me because you're going to hear me, Sandy Clough, and Sean Drotar in just a moment. I'm going to clip it here at the end of this show. Um, it's a radio hit I did on Ma High Sports uh, Radio earlier this afternoon, and obviously this is Monday. I'm recording Monday evening. Uh, so, you know, some fun stuff in there about the game, about previewing the Vancouver Canucks. That's why I'm not going to do that here on this, because you'll hear me talking with those guys here in just a moment uh, about that, as well as, uh, you know, looking ahead to the Detroit Red Wings game. Before I do that, I do want to mention that uh, this is the second time Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts has mentioned the... Colorado Avalanche is one of the teams in on Chris Tanev, so just something to keep an eye on. Obviously, he's mentioning them above, uh, among five or six other teams or however the hell many he did on the podcast today. So I wouldn't read much into it, but also it is interesting that the Avs are asking about a defenseman of Tanev's ilk, very similar type of game to Josh Manson. Um, in terms of physicality, I would say Tanev has less of an offensive upside, but more of a hardworking uh, grunt, all the things you love about Josh Manson, I believe Tanev does a lot of that too defensively. Um, just something to keep an eye on because the Avalanche adding a defenseman and making that their big move would be quite fascinating. It says to me they're either going to double down on their strong defense and really, really go all in, or maybe it says to me they're going to trade one of the defensemen. You know, we've been talking about Byron and Gerard for, for a couple years now. Uh, maybe one of them ends up getting traded at the deadline, but just something to keep an eye on. Um, obviously the deadline here is in about two and a half weeks. Uh, so I don't want to keep making up trade ideas like I have in the past, uh, because let's get closer to the deadline and see what happens and see what kind of rumors, uh, start to surface surrounding the Colorado avalanche among the NHL insiders. Um, but going back to the Red Wings game, the avalanche are in Detroit on Thursday. And as you guys know, for our longtime listeners, I am from Detroit, so Mile High Sports is sending me to Detroit to cover that game. Um, fun fact, I have not missed a game between the Colorado Avalanche and the Detroit Red Wings in Detroit, whether Joe Louis Arena or Little Caesars Arena, since 2007. And I plan on keeping that streak going as long as humanly possible. So despite the Avalanche having a home game on Sunday against the Coyotes, a home game on Tuesday against the Canucks, on the road in Detroit on Thursday, and then back home on Saturday— it's not going to stop me. I'm still going out to that game. I'll be flying out Wednesday morning after that game Tuesday night. I'll be back Friday morning after the game Thursday night. So quick 48-hour trip back home, um, but wouldn't miss it for the world. With that, one thing I will be missing is something that I would love for every single one of you listening, um, obviously, if you're local to Colorado and Denver, is to join Mile High Sports for the Avalanche Watch Party. Presented by number 38 in Rhino. Um, come watch the Avalanche Cup Quest at number 38. Voted Denver's Denver's best. I'm butchering this. Woof. Voted Denver's best bar to watch the game. The next party is, of course, Thursday, February 22nd, as the Avalanche take on the Red Wings at 5 o'clock. So please be there. I will be in Detroit at Little Caesars Arena, but Sean Drotar, Nate Lundy, and the rest of the crew over at Mile High Sports will be at number 38 in Rhino. 
watching this game. If you've never been to uh, if you've never been to number thirty eight, or if you have been to number thirty eight, you would know they have you know exceptional outdoor seating, and it's a great venue. The weather is spectacular this week, so please take advantage of that. Go catch the guys talk about the Avs post game. Uh, given that it's a five o'clock game, you know you'll be out of there by about eight o'clock, eight thirty. Great time. I uh, definitely recommend you guys hitting that up. We will be doing more of these in the future, and I will be at the next one. So I will not be at this one because I will be over, obviously, in Detroit at Little Caesars Arena. So please catch the Avalanche Red Wings game at number 38 in Rhino. You will have a great time there with the Mount High Sports people. With that, obviously, this podcast is presented by Superbook Sports. We're going to cut over to Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar on Mount High Sports Radio with... Yours truly as their guest from earlier Monday afternoon. Enjoy the enjoy the interview, and I will chat with you guys all when I'm back from Detroit on Friday. It's been a ride. I guess I had to go to that place to get to this one. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. On Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche got a win against the Arizona Coyotes 4-3. to three. We broke that down a bit, but now the uh, meat and potatoes comes next for the Avalanche. They knocked off the uh, subpar Coyotes, second to last in the Central. Now they get the Vancouver Canucks, the best team in hockey, 37-14-6, 80 points. They are way ahead of virtually everybody else when you're talking about uh, the, the games played, the games in hand, the total points. Vancouver's been tremendous, and they've done it with both balanced scoring and good goaltending. Even though they have lost their last two, they are still atop the NHL. Joining us now to talk about it is Mile High Sports, Arif Dean, the host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast, and, of course, all the coverage on MileHighSports.com. You can follow them on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F. And, uh, uh, Arif, you are uh, headed to... Uh, with the Motor City for this game. Uh, let, let's start with the idea of, before we get into this game in particular, the longtime Avs-Red Rings rivalry that, that I think splitting these team, teams up and moving Detroit over to the Eastern Conference, I think it really eliminated that. But is there still any sense or fondness for that rivalry uh, in Detroit like there is a little bit in Colorado? Absolutely. Uh, for the listeners that are not aware, I grew up in Detroit, and uh, going to the Joe Louis Arena every year, and now obviously Little Caesars Arena, it's very similar to when you go to Ball Arena. It's very similar where you see they actually do it more in Detroit because they have the bigger highlights, the, the Darren McCarty, Claude Lemieux thing where he, you know, tackled him and, and took him down, you know, as revenge and retribution for the Draper hit and all that. It's on the jumbotron every single time the avalanche are there they show it at some point during a commercial break it heights up the crowd they show patrick wall bloodied up with mike vernon in that fight like they always find a way to reference the rivalry um there is still a fondness for it and and like at ball arena you know every time the red wings are in town the last four or five years you hear red wings sub chance at one point in the third period that fondness i don't think will ever go away it may not go away, but I'm I'm old fashioned, and you reference Joe Lewis. This rivalry was born out of Joe Lewis Arena and McNichols Arena in Denver. It wasn't born in Little yeah. Caesars. It didn't develop there. It wasn't born at Ball Arena or Pepsi Center. 
It was born yeah. at Old McNichols in 95, 96, and at Joe Louis Arena, of course, in, in Detroit for uh, many years, long after uh, the Avs had moved into Pepsi Center, what is now Ball Arena. Uh, the Red Wings were still playing in Joe Louis. Uh, so I, I, I think there was some substance there um, to it. I, and, and the outdoor game was good. I, I like the fact that a few years back they played the outdoor game at Coors Field, and, and, and that, that was a good deal, not like the Air Force disaster that we all remember from uh, four years yeah. ago. I thought the outdoor game was good. And, uh, of course, as we all know from the 30 for 30 and uh, other sources, uh, Lemieux and McCarty are now very close friends, good friends. Talk all the time. They did kind of a roundtable symposium together as part of that 30 for 30 uh, deal. And um, uh, so it, even some of the bad blood that for some people like Chris Draper will never go away. Um, uh, some of the bad blood's gone too, but in any case, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Vancouver Canucks are the real deal. Um, people don't generally associate the Canucks with a Stanley cup contender, but there's no doubt that Vancouver is uh, however many games they've lost recently, I think they're 6-2-2, two two, the Canucks are in their last 10. That's a bona fide Stanley Cup contender right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, since we're mentioning the Vancouver Canucks, have you guys seen what happened in their game earlier this afternoon against Minnesota? I, I actually had not seen it as we're preparing for this show. Oh, I, I, well, I'm so happy that I get to share this with you. So the Vancouver Canucks are on a back-to-back tomorrow when they come into Denver. They just lost in Minnesota. They had a 5-2 to two lead. They lost 10-7. to seven. They gave up You're six kidding. goals. In, I'm, they gave up six goals in a span of five minutes and 45 seconds. And three players in that game had a hat trick. Two for the Wild, Joel Eriksson-Eck and Kirill Kaprizov, and one for the Canucks and Elias Pettersson. The first NHL game to have three hat tricks in the same game since 1992. For reference, I was born a year after that. Yeah. So... In your lifetime. That's what, <laughs> yeah, This exactly. is the first. That's what, yeah. that's what the Avalanche are going up against tomorrow. Um, they are going up against a team looking to rebound from that. Granted, the biggest thing to take into account from that loss, they obviously went with Casey DeSmith, who's a more than capable NHL backup. He's been yeah. incredible this year. But it wasn't, but that means it wasn't the starter. The Avalanche, the Avalanche will get the starter. The Avalanche will get the Vezina Trophy hopeful in Thatcher Demko. Yep. Uh, tomorrow, who despite giving up for uh, for all Casey Smith, because there were two empty netters at the end, because it was an eight to seven lead. Yeah. Despite giving up eight goals on twenty five shots, that yeah. Demko Ooh, was not. They did. The they did not pull him. Uh, Smith with the six eighty save percentage. They didn't pull him. I think looking yeah. at this game no, going forward, you, yep. you know, you'll get him on the back. They could have given him twenty goals. And yeah. And that part's yeah. good, I guess. You figure, you know, they they just coughed up ten. They played the last night. That's good. The drawback, as you pointed out, they also still scored seven. Yeah. <laughs> and you're talking yeah. about a team. Yeah. great offensive yeah. team. So I don't think this will have much of an effect on tomorrow's game because, I mean, you know, let's face it, the Arizona Coyotes came into Denver 0-8-1 in their last, 0-7-1 in their last eight, and damn near ended the streak. (laughs) Like, they they looked good against the Avalanche. I think what I took away from yesterday's game from the Avalanche standpoint now, heading into this game against the Vancouver Canucks, is usually when 
you know, when you're on the tail end of a long winning streak, you start to see some bad habits develop. And you kind of can tell, like, this team's about to lose their streak. They're about to lose their schneid. And, and uh, they're kind of getting lucky to squeak out these wins. And it also works in the flip. Like, the vice versa way also works. In terms of when you're in a slump like the Avalanche have been, it's almost like there's a lot of bad luck in those games where, like, yesterday's game, the Avalanche came away with a 4-3 to victory. Yes, I know there were some waved-off goals from both sides. They came away with a 4-3 to victory in a game that they should have and probably would have won 6-3 to or 7-3 to had it been pretty much any other time in the regular season. They were just so snake-bit where it was the type of game, and they did have some bad stretches in the first period especially, but it was the type of game where the habits of playing good hockey were developing enough to say we are working our way out of a slump. It started in Washington. They had the same thing going in Tampa Bay outside of the third period where it all kind of went to hell against uh, the Lightning, but you can start to see them developing habits where you can tell, like, the Avalanche are about to go on a nice run, another, you know, 13-3-1 run. Like, the habits are there. They just need to get a little bit more lucky and hopefully, I'll repeat it again, get Val Nachushkin back to help with that. Yeah, looking at the situation with the Chuska, you know, presumably they're hoping that it would be reasonably soon. But they, they did yeah. get the win with that. And Zach Parise starting to settle in. What have you thought about uh, the existing lines as they stand, with Parise being uh, there and, and as you're seeing you know, Wood and Colton and O'Connor kind of start to blossom? Uh, the line with Kivaranta was, was I, th- I thought, solid enough. Yeah. Uh, until they have Nachushkin, do you feel that they have uh, enough here that they're not going to be very aggressive in the trade deadline just a couple of weeks away to try to reinforce the forwards. No, absolutely not. This is an incomplete forward core. This is a forward core that needs Val Nichushkin, and even when you get Val Nichushkin, you probably need one more piece. Uh, I continue to reference, I've been talking about this for weeks on the podcast and every other radio appearance I've done for the last couple of weeks. The Avalanche in 2021-22 were the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League. They were battling for the President's Trophy. They were stacked. They had a lot of pieces, and they still felt the need to add Sturm, Cogliano, and Lekkinen, and Manson, and the only player they took off the roster was Jason Jones. If that team needed three additions to the lineup, there's no way this team could not have that. I mean, what we're seeing, and, and I keep going back to the center depth, even with a healthy Frederick Olison who's in the lineup, Jared Bednar still felt the need to play Chris Wagner coming off of his torn Achilles injury and, and, and uh, season debut with the Avs, he tried him at fourth line center, which says to me the Avalanche aren't just looking to find a fit for the second line center role. They need help at center in general. They need another fourth line center and have Olison as your extra, presumably in my, in my scenario, Ryan Johansson's off the roster. But all of this is to say with Val Nichushkin back, I still think the Avalanche need two forward additions. And you can allocate that any way you want, whether it's a second-line center and a fourth-line center, whether it's two middle six guys of, like, the Lars Eller caliber, the Nemesnikov caliber from 2020. Tushkin and, in my opinion, two more pieces added to this roster, and that's taking into account that Zach Parisi just joined the roster because they don't have depth. Before the Zach Parisi signing, they were one injury away from Curtis McDermott. Now you're one injury away from Yoel Kimi Ranta. 
you don't want to do an injury injury away from you off Kibiranta. You want to have Kibiranta and Olafson as your 13 and 14 and 12 guys playing above them. Because as we saw in 2022, you're going to have injuries. Cagliano had that injury against Nashville. Duhok missed some time. Berkey ended up missing the end of the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, Val Nichushkin had a broken foot and dang near missed time. Kadri got injured. Like, you need more than just an extra body or 12 good players. You need Olison and Kiviranta to be 13 and 14 so that you're three injuries away from a McDermott in the playoffs instead of just one. What does the recent um, burst of productivity from Byram mean? Uh, it means that he looks more like the guy that we saw the last three, four years, and it means more like uh, people like me are going to continue to speculate if that's the guy that gets traded, whether it's in the, at the deadline or in the offseason. Um, because I don't remember if I've said it on this show, but I, if you ask me which of the defensemen are going to get dealt after Devontae signed that extension, to me it's Bowen Byram because that's a guy that deserves to get an opportunity to be a number one somewhere. It's kind of like how uh, Seth Jones and Ryan Suter were both kind of playing behind Shea Weber forever. They had to go to another team to spread their wings and fly. Samuel Gerard doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to do that somewhere. Bowen Byram does. So seeing him play this well, if the Avalanche are considering, and there's no sources behind this, it's just me speculating, if they're considering trading him at the deadline, all this does is help. If they're considering trading him in the offseason, all this does is help. Obviously, he's under contract until the end of next season, so you can play out the rest of this year and next year with him. And if that's the route they take, what he's done the last three games is a step in the right direction of getting the Bowen Byram healthy and scoring the way that he should, which is two things that he doesn't always have kind of working for you in the right direction. He's a young player, and he's, you know, the, the sky is the limit for him. We're talking with Eric Dean of Mile High Sports about the Avalanche. And the last time we had you, Eric, you suggested on the road trip that the Avalanche needed to make a trade for a backup goaltender right then. Not the deadline, but right then. Of course, uh, yeah. since then, it just seems like nothing really has changed, that Georgiev is going to get the lion's share of the work. Do you think the Avalanche really are going to pursue a backup goaltender? If so, what are they waiting for? I think they're waiting on the price of the goaltender to drop. Uh, which the unfortunate about, thing about that is that the longer it takes for the price to drop, the more you're overworking your starting goalie to the point where, like, what are you going to do the last 17 games? Play the backup eight times and Georgie nine times? Like, I don't see that happening no matter who they acquire. Um, so right now the goalie market is really hot. And, and uh, if it were up to me, the Avalanche have already made a move by now. But if the goalies on the market are commanding a higher value than what you're willing to give up, you don't want to end up in a situation like last year where you traded a 2025 second rounder for Lars Eller. And now we look back at it 11 months ago, 11 months later and say, in hindsight, that was a terrible deal and not needed in any way, shape or form. Um, you don't want to end up in that scenario. And I think the calculated approach that Jared Bednar, or not Jared Bednar, sorry, Chris McFarland and Joe Sackick take is they take things like that into I think they got kind of hamstrung into a into a scenario last year where yeah, well the injuries did that. The injuries, yeah, yeah, the the injuries did it, and it was kind of like the injuries, the pressure, like they were hamstrung into a spot where if we don't make a deal, it is not looking good for us. So I think that kind of played a factor in it, and you don't want to end up in a situation like that. 
if that means Eustace Annan gets a couple games, and now Ivan Prosvitov, who has just named the goalie of the week in the AHL with a 3-0-0 record, gets another opportunity, and then Annan, and you just keep juggling these guys until you find someone on March 8th, then I guess that might be the approach they take. Um, I just can't see a scenario where on March 9th we're not talking about a goalie addition, and I think that goalie addition can't be someone like last year, Keith Kincaid, or a couple years ago, Johansson, or, or Dubnik at the end of his career. Like, it's got to be a, a, a reasonable backup, similar to the guy in Vancouver who, hilariously enough, just gave up eight goals yeah. on uh, 25 shots. You need a caliber of that goal. Would Jake Allen maybe be the best candidate of the goaltenders conceivably available? The only thing that I don't like about that game is, uh, I think he, yes, yes, he's a great goalie, and he's the kind of goalie you would want as your backup in terms of that level of play. The only thing I don't like about that name is he's got another year on his deal. And having a player with another year on his deal, it kind of puts you in a situation similar to what you just had with Ryan Johansson, where... I don't think the Avalanche should be committing to a backup goalie from today for the 24-25 season. They should be getting a rental now, and in the offseason when there's a you know goalie carousel that happens every year, that's when you can decide, do we want to sign the guy we acquired at the deadline, or do we want to go out and sign a UFA like Lauren Brossoir or, or Charlie Lindgren, who... Uh, who the Capitals signed a couple of years ago, so on and so forth. So I just don't think they should commit to somebody for next season from now. They should get someone more like Marc-Andre Fleury uh, is a name that sticks out to me. And, you know, I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head. But a goalie with one year left on his deal who was a reasonable backup, similar to what Francois has given you the last couple of years, similar to what Jake Allen can do, similar to what Casey DeSmith has been doing all year for Vancouver before today, just don't commit past this season unless you are absolutely sure he's the guy and you're not going to end up in another Ryan Johansson situation. He is Arif Dean. Make sure you give him a follow on social at RunRightArif. That's A-A-R-I-F. And, of course, the Fs take on the Canucks tomorrow. And then later in the week, they will take on the Detroit Red Wings. I'll be at number 38 in Rhino hosting uh, a watch party there. So make sure you come on out, say hi, and check out the game. It'll be an awful lot of fun. Arif, appreciate it. Have a safe travels, and we'll, we'll catch you soon. Sounds good. I appreciate you guys having me on.